Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. This is going to be a little bit different today because we're doing the show from um, our RV. I think it sounds good, though. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, it sounds this similar through my headphones. Yeah, yeah. We have a... Um, a motorhome that uh, we're renovating. Motorhome makes it sound so 1980s to me. It's a motor coach. It's it's a Fleetwood Bounder is what it is. It's nice. I like it. it. It's nice. And it's used and we're fixing it up and we're going to take it on the road. We're going to take the box of oddities on the road. Yeah. We're pretty excited about this. Uh, so we thought maybe today would be a good day to test out the studio that we just put in the uh, the RV and uh, see how it worked. Yeah, I mean, that's not the only no. uh, motivation for doing it in there. But, no. you know, it's yeah. that's. I mean, it's good to test things out. Yep, yep. We've got family visiting and we're hiding from them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so far they haven't discovered where we are. <laughs> Shh, sit down. They'll see us. <laughs> it's the Box of Oddities. And uh, I'm Jethro Gilligan-Toth. She, of course, is Kat. Hello. And um, we have a website that you should check out. Theboxofoddities.com. And we do appreciate it. We tell stories of weird and strange things. Today, I'm pretty excited about today's topic that uh, I've pulled together because it's going to be a little bit different. It actually involves clips of an interview that I did. Oh, cool. Okay, okay. cool, okay. cool, cool. Okay. I'm super excited about mine, too. And uh, I don't know. Uh, usually I have an idea about who I'd like to see go first or second based on my story and mm -hmm. whether or not I think it's good to lead in with this story or to wrap up with this story. Gotcha. But I... All I want to talk about is this story. So. <laughs> you, don't, you don't give a rat's ass no. about my story. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I was thinking maybe to decide who goes first, I thought maybe a good way to do it would be, would be to play rock, paper, scissors. But in keeping with the theme of Box of Oddities, instead of rock, we could use skull. Uh -huh. Instead of paper, we could use um, death certificate. And instead of uh, scissors, we could use scalpel. So scalpel beats death warrant. And death certificate, yeah. Skull, and, uh, skull beats scalpel. 
scalpel. Yeah, and death certificate beats skull. Just like how, rock, rock, paper, how scissors. How does death certificate beat skull? Same as paper beats rock. You just put it on top of the skull? Yeah. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, rock, paper, scissors doesn't make any sense. It doesn't really, no. I mean, because rock, you can break the scalpel. That makes sense. Or the, you know what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, Oh, man, my whole childhood. <laughs> just out the window, uh, goodbye. I mean, I guess, I mean, because it covers it, that's the idea, but... yeah. In no way does that stop it. No, it no, doesn't. It you just could still rip right through that it, paper. It could. Oh. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's like when I found out the moon landing was fake. Well, you I believe don't. there's a moon? I... <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> All right. Skull death certificate scalpel. Here we okay. go. Ready? Okay. One, two, three. Oh, both scalpel. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Scalpel again. One, two, three. Eh. Ha! Ah, skull beat scalpel. Okay. How does that even work? It doesn't matter. I like winning. You go first. Okay. Uh, All right. Oh, I'm so excited. We got. By the way, these chairs that we have in the RV need to be oiled. They are very squeaky. (laughs) Very very squeaky. They are very squeaky. Sorry about that, uh, bros and hoes. Uh, Okay, so in 1974, at the age of 33, an Icelandic history teacher named. Uh, and I want to get this right. It's Icelandic, so it's it's hold. Um, Jimmy. <laughs> Dean. Sigurder Jarderson. Sigurder Jarderson. Okay. Okay. Sigurder Jarderson was given a penis. Um, what was this like? A blind date or? It was it was a dried bull's penis, long and limp. The kind often used in the Icelandic countryside to whip farm animals, which, by the way, don't do that. And a colleague of Judderson gave it to him as a joke at a holiday party. And I, I'm assuming it's like a one of those Yankee swap parties where <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yeah. ha you got the penis. Yeah. Um, soon, though, other teachers began as a joke bringing him penises like bull penis or a whale penis that they came across. What? How does one come across a whale it's penis? Iceland. I don't oh. pretend to understand <laughs> how it works there. Wash up on the shore. And by the way, speaking of Iceland, we actually have listeners in Iceland. I was checking our stats. I love you. Yeah. Iceland. So um, eventually, Jarderson thought it might be an interesting challenge to collect specimens from all the mammal species in Iceland. This is how it started. Today, we're going to talk about the Icelandic Phallicological Museum, a.k.a. the Penis Museum. Phallicological? Is that really a term? Yeah. It's a word? Phallological. Phallological. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, dick. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So So basically, this is a penis museum. It's a penis museum, yes. And actually, uh, our friend Mike Elliott told me about this. He's a big fan. A big fan. Uh, I got most of the information about this amazing thing uh, from Smithsonian Magazine. There was an article that I snagged from the Penis Museum website itself and BuzzFeed, of course. So the Icelandic Phallological Museum is probably the only museum in the world to contain a collection of phallic specimens belonging to all the various types of mammal found in a single country. Including human? I'm getting to that. Oh. Phallologically, phallologically, phallo, 
the study of peeners is an ancient <laughs> science, which until recent years has received very little attention in Iceland, uh, except as a borderline field of study. Mm. You know, uh, thanks to the Icelandic. Fel- I'm just going to say the Penis Museum. Thanks to the Penis Museum, it is finally possible for individuals to undertake serious study in the field of penises in an organized scientific fashion. Mm. So the founder, Jartson, uh, was born in 1941, and he's very well educated. He's a historian with a bachelor's degree from the University of Iceland. He's got a degree in Latin American history from the University of Edinburgh. He worked as a principal and a teacher for 37 years. Uh, he's worked as a teacher of history in Spanish at a college in uh, Reykjavik. I always mispronounce that too. Reykjavik. Reykjavik in Iceland. Let's just say in Iceland. Oh, man. This is going to be a tough We're really dumbing this down. Yeah. He worked as teacher. (laughs) Um, He's written and translated some 20 books, chiefly on Latin American history, including textbooks in history and Spanish. He's a very intelligent man. Um, So this penis museum contains a collection of more than 200 penises and penile parts belonging to almost all the land and sea mammals that can be found in Iceland. And it's under one roof and one building? Correct. I wonder how long it took them to erect it. Oh, man. You been working on that? Yeah, I just checked that one off my list. <clears throat> yeah. Penis joke. Go ahead. Visitors to the museum will encounter 55 specimens belonging to 16 different kinds of whale. One specimen taken from a rogue polar bear. 36 specimens belonging to seven different kinds of seal and walrus. And more than 115 specimens that came from 20 different kinds of land animal, uh, including Homo sapiens. The museum has obtained legally certified gift tokens for four human penises. And I saw a picture of one of them, and it's grody. So there's actually a guy named Tom Mitchell. He's an American. He wants to donate his penis to the museum before he dies. Is his penis noteworthy somehow? Um, well, he uh, he has a stars and stripes tattoo on it, oh. and he's nicknamed it Elmo. USA! USA! Uh, oh, wow. Old glory flapping in the wind. <laughs> he, uh, he says that he wants uh, people to know that the largest and best one came from the States. Okay. Um, I, there's okay. no further information on why he calls his penis Elmo, uh, which is really what's most curious to me beyond all the Not other the stuff. the stars and stripes tattoo? Yeah. So anyone in the capital of Iceland who can spare about $10 can see the collection. It's housed in a modest street-level space on a busy corner downtown. It's in a carpeted room, which I think is a mistake, lined (laughs) with wooden shelves. Uh, And there's an overwhelming number of specimens. Most of them are preserved in formaldehyde and displayed upright in glass jars. Again, whales, hamsters... Gray horse penises, rams penises that are very unsettling to look at. Um, some are limp. Some are resting aside the the sides of the jars. Um, some seem to have been preserved in an erect state. The walls are decorated with dried whale penises mounted on plaques, kind of like hunting trophies. Yeah, like you instead of a deer head, it's just a giant wang, like 
coming out at you. It's like the wall has a penis, and it's saying hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fine how do you do. <laughs> it's how much to get in? And uh, about $10. That seems a little stiff. Number two off oh, the list. Oh, wow. Okay, yep, there, there you go. Well done. Thank you. Um, some of them, including the the human peener that I saw, uh, included the uh, the giblets, the 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 berries uh-huh. there. Wow. So some do, some don't. I guess that's... So it's not, man- it's not a mandatory uh, requirement to get into the museum. Correct. Right. And it's not, you know, it's not penises only, and it's not required that you have all the, the bits. It's not a, a male genital... Uh, in full requirement. Uh, (laughs) So there are also some tongue-in-cheek penis-themed arts that you will find, including a sculpture of the silver medal-winning Icelandic Olympic handball team's penises. So What? So... uh, What is that? Well, the... the, You know, handball. Sure. So there's... um, an Icelandic handball team that won the gold in the Olympics. And so they've sculpted their wieners. And you can see the the, the wiener sculpture. You mean like a plaster caster? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other penis-based artifacts like lampshades made from dry bull scrotums. What? what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know how man. I love a skin lamp. So oh, That, oh, wow. So I would use an LED bulb in it. Sure, you don't want it to get too hot. Yeah, it might smell awful. Mm. Uh, maybe, the, maybe they could. You know what they should do? This is they should they all should, kinds of ideas. They should make like a like a messenger bag out of an elephant foreskin, mm-hmm. and then when you rub it, it becomes a suitcase. Number three. Oh Almost. man, the museum's largest specimen is from a sperm whale. It's nearly six feet tall. It weighs about 150 pounds. And it's kept in a giant glass tank bolted to the floor. Not the whale, the penis. Correct. Wow. The penis, nearly six feet tall. Wait, I mean, I'm repeating this on purpose. It weighs about 150 pounds. Yeah, sperm whale penis. Holy crap. Sperm (laughs) whale. Uh, Jartson explained that uh, this was merely the tip of the whale's full penis, uh, which couldn't be... Just the tip? Yep. (laughs) Just the tip. Yeah, you like it. Um, but it could the whole penis couldn't be transported intact when the creature died. And it was originally about 16 feet long, weighing upwards of 700 pounds. I had no idea. Amazing, right? So in the Smithsonian article... The writer, Joseph Stromberg, spoke of how seriously the founder, Sigurder, took the museum. It's not just for funsies. It's a scientific museum. He even spoke of uh, a student who said that he didn't, uh, he so much better understood whales because of what he was able to observe at the museum. And he said that was really important to him because that's the purpose. Um, except for a glass room in the corner, which is labeled simply folklore section and in it Sigurder has assembled uh, what he claims to be the penises of elves, uh, water horses, Uh an Icelandic sea monster, a merman and a zombie bull. So um, there's also a a jar in that room that is appears to be empty but it's labeled with uh, homo sapien invisibilis 
I see. Okay. Kind of like. No, you don't. <clears throat> that's No, you don't see it. It's his version of the pet rock. Yeah. I'm surprised he's not selling those. It's an invisible. Speaking, he may be. So yeah. Well, speaking of that, what would their gift shop look like? That's uh, was one of my first things. I want to go to the gift shop so much. Um, there is a guest book where you can sign in and talk about your experience at the Pianist Museum. Uh, they do have um, some things available for purchase, like little uh pens that that look oh. like wieners which seems like the obvious choice sure, sure. um and so i think that we should definitely go and check it out i am just as excited about the gift shop as i am about the um giant elephant wang that you can actually touch you can touch the wang mm-hmm. really yep. is that extra Usually, yeah. usually. Because I don't want to get the shaft. You know, I don't want to have to pay more. And that's number five. Wow. Well dick, done. Dick joke. Well done. I've I completed my list of dick jokes. I'm so glad. <clears throat> I'm so glad that you brought that whole dream to fruition. Thank you. Thank you so much. You finished. <laughs> I did finish. Yeah. Okay. So, so there you go. That's you go. the Icelandic penis penis museum. <laughs> so there you it's go. It's quite a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> Number. That's the first time you've been able to say that. Seven. <laughs> okay. All right. The box of oddities. It's not for everyone. It's a time now for that thing in the middle. That's right. Five weird things, real quick. And since you were having trouble pronouncing that name from Iceland. Yeah, Hergen. Um, we, yeah. We thought maybe uh, we would do unusual names belonging to actual people. Real people, real names, real weird. Oh, wow. That was nice. Number five. Here's a young child. His name is Jed I. Knight. Jed I. Knight. That's his name. Preserved Fish. Fish was a shipping merchant in the 19th century who had just about the, the best name possible for a whaleboat captain. Preserved Fish. I'm looking at um, a uh, driver's license of a guy from Singapore, and his name is Batman Bin Superman. Ah, a Titanic survivor who also competed in the 1906 Olympic Games. He won a silver medal. Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon. Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon. Isn't that wonderful? That's a lovely name. (laughs) And number one, this is an actual headline from an actual newspaper. Bizao Dudu Zibopity Bop Bop arrested. Bizao Dudu Zopity Bop Bop Bop. Zoppity Bop 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 has a hard time staying out of trouble. Zoppity Bop Bop Bop, 30, from Madison, Wisconsin, was tentatively charged with carrying a concealed weapon. Bees out, doo doo, Zoppity Bop Bop Bop. I love it. That's funny. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan Toth. Today I'm pretty excited about this. This is a book I read. It was called The Boy Who Knew Too Much. It came out last year. It's written by uh, author Kathy Bird. Oh, yeah. And uh, you remember me talking about this? I do. Yeah. She claims, and so does her son, who is, I believe, uh, nine years old now, that he is the reincarnated spirit of baseball legend Lou Gehrig. So interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating. I saw the book and I'm like, baseball and reincarnation? I'm in. 
You know, I did a project on reincarnation when I was in sixth grade. You did? Yeah. I had to make a poster. And so I modeled it after the uh, recycling signs that were becoming so popular <laughs> then. So I did like a, a recycle your soul kind of deal. Oh, wow. And But I misspelled soul. Oh, no. Yeah. It was kind of embarrassing. Like soul of a shoe? Yeah. Did they take points off for that? Oh, yeah. For those of you who uh, maybe aren't baseball fans, even if you aren't, I know you've heard of Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig, was, uh, his, his nickname was the Iron Horse. Here are some of his stats according to Wikipedia. Major League Baseball player, New York Yankees from 1923 till 1939. Gehrig was uh, renowned for his prowess as a hitter. He was a seven-time All-Star, seven consecutive seasons, a triple crown winner, an American League Most Valuable Player two different times, a member of six World Series championship teams along with Babe Ruth. He played with Babe Ruth. Uh, he had a lifetime batting average of 340, and he hit 493 home runs. He was a legend. Why do they call him the Iron Horse? Because he played something like 3,000 consecutive games without taking a day off. What's that got to do with horses? Iron horse. You know, an iron horse is like a train. They used to call trains iron horse back in the day. And so he just kept going. I didn't know that. Yeah. Why did they call trains iron horses? Oh, because they were transportation I think a, yeah, I think but made a, of metal? Yeah, I think it. It, it was a Native American thing. Oh. Gehrig died in 1941. Now, here's an article by ESPN. They said, did he come back? And then he goes on to talk about Kathy Bird believing her son, Christian Haupt, is the reincarnated spirit of Lou Gehrig. Wow. And there are a lot of a lot of things to to make you question whether or not this is uh, this could be true. It's actually quite persuasive. That's good. It'll need to be because you know how I feel about this kind of thing. This is the part that's going to be a little bit different. I actually got Kathy Bird on the phone. By the way, she's a wonderful lady. OK, I really enjoy talking with her. And really? She, and she really enjoyed it? You really enjoyed it? Yes. yes Listen, I, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nothing like that. Just kidding. But she's, without a question of a doubt, convinced that her son is the reincarnated spirit of Lou Gehrig. When I talked to her, I had her explain some things. I'm going to play some clips of the conversation, okay? Mm -hmm. She explained when he started talking about being Lou Gehrig, what it was like. When he did start talking about Lou Gehrig, it was right around the time that he turned three is when he started saying things to us like, Mommy, I used to be a tall baseball player. You know, and I would say, yeah, you're going to be tall someday. You'll be a tall baseball player. And one day he got so upset with me and stomped his foot and said, no, I was tall like daddy. And I said, you mean you were a grown-up? And he said, yes. So from then on is when it really kind of opened Pandora's box. And he just kept telling us more and more things about this lifetime as a baseball player. And I think it's important to note that at like two or three years old, he was a baseball prodigy. Oh, wow. This kid can play ball. He's considered to be one of the best ball players for his age in the country. Oh, my goodness. He's, uh, he's on traveling baseball teams. He has been for years. He threw out the first pitch at Dodger Stadium. You can see that on YouTube. And he was, uh, he was really young, like four. Well, that's and, just cool. And he, he threw a strike. He wound up like a, like a major league baseball player and threw a strike. At how old? Four. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, and the crowd of 30,000 people just went nuts. I would imagine. Yeah, check it out. It's on 
YouTube. Now, one of the things that I knew about, because I'm a baseball history buff, one of the things that I knew about uh, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig's relationship was that most people think it was, it was a great, strong camaraderie, and it was for a while, but they did have a falling out. Oh, no. At one point why? in their Babe, career. Babe, why? Well, she talks a little bit about when she found out that Christian did not like Babe Ruth. That happened when we filmed the movie in Boston with Adam Sandler, and I took him to see the Yankees play the Red Sox at Fenway Park, and there was this giant picture of Babe Ruth, and Christian saw it when he was two years old and got so upset, like had a huge emotional reaction to this photo where he was waving his little bat and said, I don't like him. He was mean to me. Um, and at the time, that was really strange. It was before he started telling us things about another lifetime. Um, but I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. And then, you know, as time went by, he continued to harbor this grudge towards Babe Ruth. So I showed him pictures of the 1927 Yankees at the suggestion of Carol Bowman, who is a woman I found who actually studies past life memories of children. She wrote a book about it, and she consults with parents who have similar experiences to mine. And she told me to show him photos of Babe Ruth's teams that he played with. Um, and that's when I asked Christian, do you see anyone else in this photo who doesn't like Babe Ruth? And Christian continued to point at a guy with dimples who turned out to be Lou Gehrig. But this, this animosity towards Babe Ruth, like he still isn't a big fan of Babe Ruth. He's still so, I don't like him. And as he got older, he said things like, Babe Ruth was a very jealous man. You know, he would, he would get into the, the story behind it. And what I later found out, um, once Christian saw a picture of Lou Gehrig and said, that's me, and told us other things about the life of Lou Gehrig, I later found out that Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth had this falling out, that they were very good friends, and they had a falling out that led them not to speak, basically for the entire seven years, last seven years of Lou Gehrig's career on the Yankees. They were really good friends. I did so much research on this. Once Christian kept telling me things, now I know everything there is to know about Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. So they were very good friends, like to the point that Lou Gehrig, Lou Gehrig's mother actually took Babe Ruth into her home and took care of him after he got divorced. But they did have a big falling out, and Christian, ironically, was the one who shared that with me, what the falling out was about. And as I researched it more, he was actually right. And so what happened is once they had this falling out, they really didn't speak, but there are a lot of pictures of them together. And there's actually that one famous picture um, when Lou Gehrig gives his luckiest man speech on his retirement day at Yankee Stadium, um, where they... Babe Ruth actually puts his arm around Lou Gehrig, and that's considered to be their reconciliation where they hadn't spoken for seven years. That's kind of historically looked upon as a reconciliation. Now, the thing that uh, that made them enemies toward the end was, and I found this out, I researched this myself, apparently they were on a ship together, and Lou Gehrig found Babe Ruth in the same room with his wife. Oh, and, and Babe Ruth was kind of well-known for being... A drunken womanizer. Right. I was trying to think of a nice way to say that, but yeah, no, he was just, he would grab at whatever yeah. parts. Yeah. And so they had a falling out and for seven years, they, uh, he, he hated Babe Ruth and, and I can, I understand that. Sure. But they were good friends leading up to that and then reconciled, uh, that day that she mentioned at Yankee stadium where he Aww. gave that famous speech. I'm looking at the hug right now. Oh, yeah. that's kind of sweet. You can tell Babe Ruth is into it, and Lou Gehrig's kind of like, mm, yeah, okay. Yeah, I suppose. He's letting it happen, sure. but he's still a little yeah. apprehensive about it. Yeah. Kathy took Christian to Lou Gehrig's house 
in New York. Was he home? He was not home. He'd been dead since 1941. But the people who lived there brought uh, brought them in. And Christian went through the house and told everybody where everything was. He knew knew the house backwards and forwards. He made all kinds of comments about, I used to sit here. This was my bedroom. You know, these kinds of uh, things that he couldn't have known, but were later verified. Oh, wow. That's true. That's pretty interesting. Now, I mentioned that he is a bit of a baseball prodigy, and uh, he became friends at a very early age with Tommy Lasorda, who is a legendary Hall of Fame. Right. He was the uh, Weight Watchers guy. Yeah. He, well, yeah, he did that, too. Yep. Yeah, but he was he was the uh, the manager for the Dodgers for, for years and years and years. And he just happened to see Christian hitting wiffle balls in the parking lot outside of uh, Dodger Stadium and, and pulled Kathy aside and said, that kid's special. That kid has something. Oh, that's cool. And ever since then, he's invited uh, Christian to go to spring training games for the Dodgers. There's also a video of him on YouTube throwing a baseball to Clayton Kershaw, Cy Young winner. Oh, and throwing a strike right at him, and, and the guy's like, oh, my God. <laughs> he couldn't believe it was coming from this young kid. He's, I think with being a Red Sox fan, we need to make sure that we draft him when he's old enough. <laughs> I love how you're really thinking about how we can make this work in our, in our interest. Yeah. So Kathy talked a little bit about uh, when she started taking him seriously, because at first, you know, you kind of you're going, well, kids have imaginations and oh, sure, you know, yeah, that sort of that's, thing. That's yeah. Well, I was the biggest skeptic of all. Like when Christian would tell me these things, even when I pretended to go along with it, I was still questioning, like, what is this? And the first thing I did was go to my pastor and shared with him the things that Christian had said. And the pastor basically insinuated that Christian could be possessed by the spirit of a dead person. And this was obviously, as a mother, not something you want to hear. So that's when I took the more scientific route um, and looked for other answers. But it really was one thing he said to me when he was had just turned three, and we were in an elevator, and he said, Mommy, this elevator kind of looks like a hotel. And I said, yeah, it kind of does. And he said, when I was a tall baseball player, when I was tall like Daddy, I used to stay in hotels almost every night. And I kind of went along with it, and I said, oh, did you travel on airplanes? I mean, And he said, no, mostly trains. And at that point, it was so strange to me. I didn't even know if baseball players really traveled on trains at the time during Babe Ruth's era. But it just was strange to me because Christian had never played with trains, never been on a train. I don't think we'd ever talked about trains. So I looked it up and found out that Babe Ruth did travel on trains. And then as things began to, to become more and more... Um, confirmed through history, as I would look them up on the internet, is when it kind of sucked me in, like, okay, there's something to this. In her book, she also talks about how he was interviewed by some medical experts in this area and children that have, uh, that claim to have lived past lives, Mm -hmm. and asked him some specific questions, asked him about, uh, well, did you know your mother in a past life? And he claims that uh, Kathy was his mother, was, was Lou Gehrig's mother. As well. Oh. And so Kathy was like, yeah, I don't know about that. Right. So Kathy went and had a hypnotic regression herself. And sure enough, she could see things that were taking place. She could see the home that she lived in. And later, when they went to visit Lou Gehrig's home, she recognized it. Interesting. As being what she saw in her in her hypnotic vision. Gotcha. But there were a lot of different uh, things that led them to 
believe that this could possibly be the case. I went and looked at a side-by-side video comparison of Christian, who is left-handed, like Gehrig was, swinging a baseball bat. Because, you know, each baseball player has their own style, has their own swing. Absolutely, yeah. It's just like the same thing. It's the same swing. You look at Christian's left-handed swing and Lou Gehrig's left-handed swing, and it's the same swing. It's exactly the same. And this kid's been doing it since he was like four. Right. And that was before they started really researching Lou Gehrig. Yes. That his swing kind of started that that to be that style. That's right. I gotcha. These doctors and people who study these cases of kids, there are cases where kids come through with scars on them. Like, for example, if someone was like shot in the head, they'll have a scar right where that bullet wound was. Um, with Christian, there are physical things. Like, he has big, deep dimples, just like Lou Gehrig. Um, which isn't like a real characteristic of our family. but So that was kind of a, a fun thing, but obviously anyone could have dimples. Um, he's left-handed, like Luke Gehrig was left-handed. Um, we noticed when Christian was about four, I watched a video that I had shot of a travel baseball game that he was playing in. Believe it or not, he played travel baseball at four years old. I know wow. that's strange. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I compared it to videos of Luke Gehrig, and his form was quite similar, like his swing, um, and the way he would slide into the bases, he would take his helmet off at home plate and kind of wave it like when Garrett would wave his hat at the crowd. Just little subtle things that, that we would pick up on. Now, he's still doing travel baseball, and he's still considered to be, well, he is one of the best baseball players in his age group in the country, if not in the world. It's really an amazing thing to to watch. And I was, uh, I, I, Kathy's a Facebook friend of mine, mm-hmm. and she had posted recently something about they were at this competition. And one of the other team's players' father was taunting him, was making fun of of Christian being the reincarnated spirit of Lou Gehrig. Like how? Just taunting him. What, what do you mean? Yelling out words and making fun. <laughs> Teasing out him. words and making fun. Yeah. Like in general or saying things about Lou Gehrig? Saying things about Christian claiming to be, okay, Lou Gehrig, let's see if you can hit, you know, that, okay. that kind of gotcha. thing. Gotcha. I mean, I wasn't there, but that's how I pictured it in my head. Okay. And so I asked her about how he deals with that because now everybody knows right. that he believes that he's Lou Gehrig. How does he deal with that? And she says he's, he's incredibly mature for his age, and it just rolls off his back. And he's like, I just want to play baseball. Aww. He's a good kid. Now, at one point, and this is, this is getting kind of weird, Kathy took Christian and his sister to visit Lou Gehrig's grave. I think there's a video in the book trailer. We did a book trailer that Jack Canfield narrated, and there's also a little video of that moment, too. Um, And it really was a very special, special time, getting on that airplane and leaving New York and you know, it was it was just a really sense of closure for Christian. It was there was a lot of reverence, and even my my daughter, who used to make fun of him, she used to actually get him all wound up because she would call him Babe Ruth, and he would come after her, and he would try to pull her hair, and <laughs> you know. But even my daughter, in that moment, she knew that that was special. What was going through your mind when you were watching that? I mean, it, that's a pretty big thing. You know, I mean, it seems strange to bring your six year old son to a grave, right? Um, it, it was 
definitely something, it was something that was so deep in his soul and so much a part of his reality. Um, we had just spent a couple weeks in Cooperstown right before we went to the grave where Christian was at the Hall of Fame Museum and got to see like Lou Gehrig's old uniforms and his locker and trophies. And, you know, so it was really kind of a deep emotional experience. We went to the home of Lou Gehrig. We walked through the home. We got to, you know, be in the place where Lou Gehrig used to live, you know, and that Christian actually did say when we were out on the patio there at the, at the house that Lou Gehrig lived in and bought for his parents in 1927, Christian said, we were standing on the patio and he said, Babe Ruth used to smoke here. <laughs> it was wow. kind of funny. Um, but that moment at the graveyard and just being at the grave and was just so special. And it, one cute thing Christian said as we were flying home to Los Angeles was he's there were a bunch of balls all over Lou Gehrig's grave. And then Christian said, I hope when I die, I get a lot of balls on my grave. (laughs) The kid is incredibly uh, well-adjusted for the spotlight that he's been standing in. When he threw out the first pitch at four years old in front of 30,000 people, she said that he was just as comfortable as as can be. That's really cool. And he just quietly goes about his business, which is to become the best baseball player he can, and he is, as I've said, considered to be one of the best at his age group. So it's it's an interesting story, and it's one that you can't discount. And if you read the book, there are a lot more um, examples of things that uh, really kind of point to this as being a very strong possibility. They actually found a couple who Lou Gehrig's mother lived with before she passed away, and they were able to verify a lot of the information that Christian had told them about Lou Gehrig and his mother sure. at that time. And you'll just have to get the book and check it out for yourself. It's um, <clears throat> it's called uh, The Boy Who Knew Too Much. It is soon to be a major motion picture. 20th Century Fox Oh, that's it. cool. And uh, yeah, they're doing the screenplay right now. And earlier in the interview, she talked a little bit about being a Christian and going to church to talk to her pastor about this. And her pastor saying... Well, he he might be possessed by the spirit of a dead person, and, and that kind of freaked her out a little bit. Yeah. And so <clears throat> she had to pull back a little bit from that. And uh, I asked her how she kind of dealt with it, and she said that, uh, and I love this, she said, what this has taught me is that we're all just souls in a human body, and that we're all the same, and that we all just need to love each other. Mm. Well, I can definitely get on board with that sentiment. I asked her to kind of sum things up a little bit at the end of the conversation. You know, one thing I would just love to impress on people, the book is called The Boy Who Knew Too Much. It came out um, in March 2017. Um, What I really encourage people to do is rather than make a snap judgment, please read the book because a lot of people, I've been getting message after message, letters of people whose lives have really been changed by it, and especially people who have lost a loved one people who've lost a child, lost a parent, lost a sibling. The book really gives them hope and that connection to that person who's passed away. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you talked about it a lot and then ended up getting in contact with this woman. So it's it obviously you know rung, rung something in you. I don't even know what I mean to say. It obviously touched something in you. The, the idea of reincarnation has always been fascinating to me. I just sure. read an account of somebody who had a hypnotic uh, regression to a life that they had as a soldier in World War One, where he describes how he died and he died from gunfire in, in, in the battle and where he was shot and how he laid there for hours dying slowly. And, and in this life, he suffers from or had suffered from migraine headaches mm-hmm. in the exact same spot that he found out through 
hypnotic regression or that it was suggested the same spot where he was he was shot right you know and you and like she said you know a lot of times people will be born with uh, birthmarks and things of wounds that they died from or had in previous lives so that's all very fascinating to me and being a baseball history nut this just seemed yeah. like right in my wheelhouse kind of just converged <laughs> into the ultimate jethro you know fan yep it was, Story. it was everything. I mean, I seriously, I read it in two nights. I just couldn't put it down. It was, yeah. it was just fascinating. And I have to say, I, I don't discount it. I, I think that uh, I, I can tell there's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of evidence that uh, to me suggests that uh, there's there's more to this than we know. Sure. And, you know, you know me, I I don't pretend to know the answers. I I most often will be very skeptical about almost everything uh, <laughs> to the point that annoys you sometimes. Um, but, you know, I can't I can't say that it's not true. I love that we're doing this show because uh, you know, we can kind of explore these things in depth. And I never would have been able to interview the author of a book just, you know, on my own. But calling up and saying, hey, we're doing the the box of oddities. And she's like, yeah, I'll be on that. So that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. We appreciate that. Absolutely. And we appreciate you for downloading us. I love you. We love being downloaded. <laughs> downloading is our favorite thing. So keep downloading. And if you haven't, subscribe. We appreciate that. Also, floss. Yes. It's so important. Proper dental hygiene is something that we feel very strongly about <laughs> as the hosts of The Box of Oddities. Theboxofoddities.com. We'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that The Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those of whom I report to to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.